Hello, my fellow content enthusiasts. I'm Christina Halverson, and this is the Content Strategy Podcast. This week, I'm going to be speaking with Beth Dunn of HubSpot, but before we get to our interview, I have a couple of reminders for you. First of all, I am hosting my very first ever listener call-in Q&A episode uh, in December, and so... I would very much appreciate your questions. I'm asking folks to please call this number and leave a message with their name, company, and question. And that number is 510-858-6927. I'm gonna assume you don't have something to write that down right now. So the other place you can find that number is contentstrategy.com forward slash podcast. I also want to ask a big favor of you, and that is to please take a moment and take our listener survey. I am really excited. We've got some big ideas for the podcast in 2020, but it's important to me to have your feedback because this podcast is for you and I want to make it amazing for you. So if you could please visit contentstrategy.com forward slash survey. That's right. Intuitive URLs, always a good idea. Contentstrategy.com forward slash survey. The survey will close at the end of November. So hurry up, give me your input. Thanks so much. Here's the interview. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Content Strategy Podcast. With me this week is one of my favorite people on the planet. She did not pay me to say that. Her name is Beth Dunn, and she is the UX operations lead at HubSpot. Beth joined HubSpot in 2010. She was the product team's only UX writer for many, many years before finally agreeing to share the work she loved with a global team of content designers who are now doing just fine without her. Thanks very much. Her current, she said that, not me. Her current role is in UX operations, which mostly involves coaching, and cajoling others on her team and in the wider UX world to write, speak, teach, and tell their own stories in various helpful, strategic, and deliberate ways. Now our listening audience also loves you, Beth Dunn. You <laughs> haven't even started talking yet. They're already just like, yes, Beth Dunn. <laughs> Hi. Hi. I'm so happy to be here. No, I'm so happy to have you here. Beth, where are you located? I live on Cape Cod. And I work, I work from Cape Cod most days, actually. But the, the HQ for HubSpot is in Cambridge, but I'm, I spend most of my days here on Cape Cod. That's the worst. I know. It's you must terrible. Be miserable. <laughs> Jeez, some people go on vacation. Beth just lives there. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, Beth, how did we meet? Oh, gosh. Uh, we were the, some of those people who met for years online. Um, and I think only finally met face-to-face um, in the hallways of Confab when I first started attending Confab, believe know, it or not. I know, I know. And then you spoke at Confab last year. Yep. Which was just brought so the house down. I really enjoyed it a lot. And uh, it's just the greatest conference. And you didn't pay me to say that either. Oh, I know. This is the point where everybody's just like, oh my God, Beth and Christina get a room already. <laughs> so Beth, when we reconnected recently and I was like, my God, you have to come on the podcast and tell me this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, It was because you have been named the UX operations lead at HubSpot, and you have had a long and winding journey to get there. And we're going to talk about what that title means. But first, I would like you to tell me about your long and winding journey. Sure. 
I mean, you know, like so many of us in content, uh, I have this like very sort of checkered past that eventually led me to the um, respectable pillar of society that I am today. Um, <laughs> um, so the the completely expurgated version of it is that I spent a good deal of time in nonprofit marketing um, until, you know, when when the whole Web 2.0, it's the old can remember when that was the thing that we talked about? I have about. actually not heard anybody use that phrase for a very long time. Isn't that amazing? Somebody used it on me the other day and I was like, yes, I was there. Well, when that's <laughs> <laughs> and I was going to pod camps and, you know, and when that started happening, I, um, I was doing nonprofit marketing and I, I just realized that this is what I needed to be doing. So I dropped everything. I went back to school for an MBA because for some reason I thought that I needed it. Um, and out of the MBA program, I joined HubSpot in 2010. And throughout the course of my many different roles at HubSpot over the last almost 10 years, it's always been some form of applying content strategy to some business problem that we have at the organization, whether it's like, oh, look, we don't have any help documentation. Let's, you know, let's design that. Let's deliver that. Or community management in the customer forums or and then eventually um, product writing, UX writing. Um, and so now I'm just applying that content strategy lens to the problem of UX team operations. Okay, so when you say content strategy, yeah. <laughs> Tell me a little bit because you you were an active writer on products. Like you were shared across a variety of product teams, correct? Yes. Correct. So and were they like come to me and give me the copy and you were like, No, 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 you have bigger problems and I'm going to tell you what they are? Like how did you because I think so many content strategists begin as like the writer in the yeah. room or the writer that everybody just dumps all the, you know, content requests on. Talk to me a little bit about how, because I'm sure that when you walked through the room, you were like, yes, I am the writer when you started. I, tell me how you grew into that role. Yeah, it really was a process. And it took, I want to say, an embarrassingly long period of time because there is that sort of gratification of being the writer in a room full of designers and engineers, right? And so I'm not going to lie, that was something that kind of kept me going and kind of churning things out by request for a long time. Um, but after a certain period of time, you realize that you are not, in fact, solving problems, that you're not actually approaching the work through a strategic, um, from a strategic place. Um, and so you're not actually really solving the problems of the business or the user. So, um, you know, once I kind of came around to that um, realization, you know, it doesn't happen overnight, right? So I had already set things up so that I was, uh, as the only UX writer, I was kind of just fulfilling requests. Like, can you take a look at this? Can you make this sound better? Can you, can you fill in some content here, some copy here? Um, that's like the surface level, what I consider to be like, you know, late stage UX writing as part of the content design process. Um, and, and I had to kind of keep on doing that for people because I'd set that expectation while sort of identifying projects on which I could go deeper and demonstrate what this might look like if I were involved in the project from soup to nuts, from, you know, from designing the research to sitting in on the research, listening for the language and the meaning and the, you know, like that's what content strategy from a product writing point of view is for me, full stack content design. And it took time to kind of change the way people thought about that practice. And I really found that I had to do that by doing, by, by showing rather than telling. And so once we had gotten up to that point where sort of a critical mass of 
people and teams recognize the value of that approach over the old approach. That was when we started building out the team and it just kind of took off from there. That's amazing. And it, and it, you know, I think the change when that happens within the organizations over and over and over again, I see that coming from one or two people who are constantly just like, no, 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 bring me in earlier, bring me in earlier. Let me help ask the questions. Let me help design the research. Let me help, you know, push, push uh, back on decisions that are being made that maybe aren't considering language or nuance of language or word or anything and so on. So that's really exciting. It was, it was really exciting work. Absolutely. And I think you have to approach it like any sort of change management. You, you know, like I think you do here in the industry, a lot of people get worn down by constantly going, invite me in early, invite me in early. Totally. What you do is you find the people who get it, you know, and you work with them and you invest with people who, who, who get it. And so that you're not kind of wasting all your calories and getting frustrated and annoyed. Yeah. So you were throwing around a lot of terminology in there. You said content strategy and product content strategy and UX writing, content design. And now your title is the UX ops lead mm-hmm. at HubSpot. That's so right. first of all, and you said that that is a job title that was like made up for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. What do you, what do you do now? Well, I mean, it turns out that it's a thing. Right. Um, but most organizations, I think, seem to call this design ops because they call their entire UX organization the design organization. And we call, you know, our umbrella term for the design organization is UX because it includes product designers, content designers, re- UX researchers, and product analysts. That's the entire UX org. So I'm just doing UX ops, UX operations, um, which, you know, as defined in the sort of classic you know, org design for design orgs uh, by Peter Merholtz um, and somebody else's name I can't remember. Um, Which Peter uh, is going to love. I know. I am so sorry. Um, it's just because I was just registering for that conference. And so. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's the, that's, is that the um, Rosenfeld Media Design Ops Conference? That's the one. Yeah, yes. Great, so great. I'm very excited about that. So, you know, that's, you know, the way he defines that, the way they define it in that book is that it's, you know, kind of divided up into, uh, people, practice, and process. And as it turns out, we, without even really calling it operations, we have a person and a team working on the practice side of things with our Canvas design system. And so I'm just sort of picking up the ball and running with the people and process side of things. And how, how do you, when you guys talk about people and process, what, do you, what are you talking about? Uh, well, right now it looks like um, uh, improving a lot of internal training and development, um, you know, so onboarding new hires and providing resources to, to existing team members to sort of level up their game. And, um, you know, we recently made the entire UX organization um, uh, decentralized. So everybody is being asked to sort of level up in uh, a cross-disciplinary way. So I need to create some more content so that designers can learn how to do content better and content people understand the design side of things and researchers and, you know, so everybody kind of shares this foundational level of understanding and facility with the different disciplines. So, so there's that sort of internal training and growth. And then it's like, I think of it as two sides of the same coin. There's also this external um, talking and speaking and writing about the work that we do and who we are, what we believe in, what we stand for, and why somebody might be attracted to join our team. So there's like, that's kind of two sides of the same coin. So I'm working on both of those. To me, they're both content problems. So that is interesting to me because I feel like, you know, when you first told me that you, that your job had changed, what you said was, I'm doing more content strategy work 
in this position than I've ever done before. That's right. And yeah. so when you are talking about content strategy, really you are saying content strategy is a, is a practice that tackles content problems. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a, it's a, I guess I probably misspoke. I guess it's a, it's a content or strategy. I'm putting words in your mouth and making uh, it sound I like think it. I, I think I probably said that. Um, what, I, what I guess I mean is that it's a problem that, can, that I can certainly solve, I think, that I can approach most effectively through a content strategy lens. Um, you know, because it is, it is about delivering the right content to the right people at the right time in the right way. It's about, you know, like, like when I talk about content strategy, it means I'm not just creating the content that I think I, you know, saying what I want to say or, you know, what I think needs to be out there. I'm stopping first and I'm, you know, doing the research and I'm doing the discovery and I'm trying to find out, you know, what is it that our external audience wants to know? Like how... What is it that they need that they want to know? What are the perceptions that are out there already that maybe might need to be counteracted? Like, what what are the needs? You know, mm -hmm. um, and then you kind of move move through the through the process there. And then the um, and the internal stuff is the same thing, same way. Like, you know, what do people need in terms of internal education, onboarding, design? So, um, so yeah, I, I, it's a content strategy problem to me. That's so cool that you, you know, we talk a lot at Brain Traffic about like content strategy isn't just for a product and content strategy isn't just for a website. It is also for the way content travels, information travels throughout an organization. Yeah. And I think that that is, especially when we are talking about things like content design or product content design, that tends to get lost in the conversation a little bit. A hundred percent. And I mean, I didn't even I kind of touch on the process side of things, which, which is the way that the problem that I'm being asked to sort of tackle is the internal communications problem. And that's, that is a content problem as well. It's just like, oh, what do, you know, what do we need in terms of shared calendars? How do we announce promotions and team changes and events and somebody's blog post is about to go up? Just sort of keeping everybody aligned and informed. That's a content problem as well. I have a friend from an old organization I used to work at, one of those nonprofits, who would say, uh, communication's the answer. What's the question? And I, you know, I kind of feel like I say that about content a lot. So I want to return back to the, to the question of terminology because, you know, we were chatting a little bit before we started recording and, and I was saying that early in my career, I was like, I don't care what you call it. In fact, I, I think I actually wrote these words in, in my book, Content Strategy for the Web. I don't care what you call it. Just get the work done. And I no longer feel, feel that way. I very, very deeply care what people are calling things, primarily because companies are calling me and saying, we are trying to hire for this role and we can't figure out what to call it and we keep getting all the wrong people. You know, I, I think that like the classic thing that's happening right now is, is content strategy versus content marketing versus content strategy. But talk to me about how in HubSpot, as the role of content and the importance of content has grown, talk to me about how you are defining and aligning on a lot of these terms that we've been throwing around. Sure. And it's, it's totally fair. And I think that the way that we're using these terms is probably going to change as well. I honestly don't think that there's any sort of real consensus out there in the content community. Yet oh boy, no. There's so I, I hold these terms very loosely in, in, my, in my mind and in, in our organization. But, you know, I, I shared with you about my path from kind of solo UX writer which was a term that was given to me before I knew that was a thing. When we hired our first director of design, um, he kind of sat me down and asked me how I spent my day. And, and I told him and he said, oh, you're my UX writer. And I was like, great, what's that? I had never heard the term before. I just knew that I was helping change the copy that was in the interface. 
And so then when I trained up the, when we built that team, we hired those people as UX writers because that was the style of work that we were doing. And I think of, as I said before, UX writing as that late stage kind of proofread and polish part of the process. Other people use that term to mean a deeper part of the process, and I respect that, but that's the way that that term evolved at our organization, that, that, that the UX writing is the surface part of the process. Still very important, super important to make sure that things are spelled correctly and in the right voice and tone, and they're doing things you know, wrong in terms of grammar and syntax and punctuation, but it's not about meaning. And we started, we actually changed the title of those people once we had changed the practice, so we changed the titles after we had changed how we work so that we were doing full stack content design. And then we changed, what we did was we, we took people off of um, kind of uh, being the line cook metaphor that I always talk about where you're just taking tickets and kind of you know, shipping copy out by request to being fully embedded just on one team, just on one project and doing it from the beginning to the end. So that was, that was our transition to content design. Once everybody was actually doing the work in that way, we changed our titles to content designer. And so now it's the UX content design team. Um, yeah, so, but it's all still changing a lot. We actually don't use the term content strategy a lot. I feel like in, in my world, at least, that's been the term that's been used more on the marketing side of things. Um, for better or worse, it just se- kind of seems to be how it's shaken out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're really starting to see that too. And, th- and this kind of leads into my next question. When we, when we hear content design and UX design or UX writing, a lot of times what we're he- who we're hearing from are people that are building products. So, you know, things that people are using to produce or to, or to uh, get things done. And the websites and content for websites seems to have been almost shoved over to marketing. Like you all take care of this. And, and marketing is not typically coming at websites with a UX lens. They, they see it as a means of engagement and communication and conversion. So, you know, and then we've got Techcom who's creating the support content that oftentimes lives on the website or on a a platform that is directly connected to the website. Can you talk a little bit about how, are there clear lines of division between what's happening on kind of the public facing website and when people sort of sign into and begin using the product? Yeah, I think less and less. And I think that that's really where this, that's where, that's the sort of friction that we're all feeling is that um, there aren't these really clear lines of demarcation anymore because, you know, if the whole point of content strategy and, you know, content design, as I envision it, is to design things, experiences for the user, with the user in mind, with the audience in mind, then we have to recognize that those um, distinctions are completely artificial and meaningless to the user. Like people come through, they, they encounter our content, what, through our blog first, and then they go to the product pricing page, and then maybe they kick off a trial, and then maybe the trial expires, and then they end up back in the, you know, it's, a, it's more loopy than a linear progression. And so to have these silos of people who are approaching the work in, in very distinct and different ways just makes less and less sense. So we've definitely seen, this is part of our reorganization to being very cross-disciplinary, um, and I, I think that's just going to kind of ripple out across organizations very rapidly um, that, that we, we just need to really break down some of these artificial barriers. Do you think that there is a possibility, though, for 
there to be a real seamless, consistent content experience across all those various touch points. Because in my mind, the only, and, and this I think is impossible, although maybe smaller organizations are able to do this, there sort of needs to be, I mean, I've talked to people who think there needs to be like a chief content officer who is really overseeing the way content is moving throughout an organization, the people who are touching it, the processes, you know, that are hopefully mm-hmm. breaking down these silos, mm-hmm. the different tools and platforms where the content is living. You know, and if you think about content as an actual business asset, I guess that makes sense, like a chief information officer, a chief marketing officer. But what is that the only way that we're going to be able to kind of create and choreograph and coordinate and, and create consistency across all these different touch points is having like the person who is in charge and connecting the dots? Well, I mean, I think it depends on how your organization runs, whether or not it makes sense for you to sort of appoint a C-level content czar, which is definitely an idea that I've heard people talking about, whether it's because if you have somebody with the word content in their title at the C-level, that that's like a, a visible sign that the organization recognizes the value of this sort of thing. It's like having a chief customer officer. Which, exactly. What right. is that even? Or so, experience officer. Right, right. Um, uh, so if that's the way that your organization works, and that's actually the way that capital gets played out in your organization, then it might make sense to appoint a content czar and have it sort of be a, a, a command and control and things need to you know, go this way. My organization doesn't tend to be like that. We are, um, we're highly distributed. And um, our like core value is uh, prizing small autonomous teams that are not really trammeled too much in the way in terms of like how you achieve your goals. What we focus instead on is like making sure that all of our goals are aligned. And then we offer these sort of guidelines and um, the word I'm looking for, I don't know, just guideposts that, that help you make sure that you're staying on, on track. Um, and so I think that offer, like in, in an organization like mine, where autonomy is, is so vital to how we get work done, appointing a content czar really isn't going to be the way to go. It's about sort of awakening everybody across the organization to the value of taking this unified approach. And, and my original answer to your question is, um, how do we make sure that this happens? Is by just making sure that everybody's aligned on the same goals, I think. I think that's where we see the fracturing is marketing is interested in conversion. Like everybody's kind of trying to solve their own little atomic problems. And if those don't roll up to a unified business goal that we're all being measured against, then we're just solving, we're just touching various little pieces of the elephant. You know, and this is the, this is sort of the depressing answer I have to give people when they push and push, like, well, how do we get this done? And how do we create that consistency? And how do we get everybody aligned? It has to come from leadership. Leadership has got to define and in a clear, articulate way what those goals are. Yep. So the different teams know they're all laddering up to the same thing. They're all on the same page. They're all playing on the same team. We and, are all in this together. That's yeah, the same thing, right? Yeah, and, and I just feel like this is what I keep coming back to in my own work lately is that so many folks who have, who have grown, come up through the ranks and who are in leadership position positions are not great at putting a stake in the ground and communicating what those goals are, which, you know, to their audience of internal employees, 
which is a content strategy problem. <laughs> Communication's the answer. What's the question? That's right. Exactly. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Uh, and so that, that again, is just trying to help equip folks who are in the trenches with content and, and making choices about content with the right questions to sort of return to management and leadership to say, if you could help us answer this question, we would be able to make better choices right. from the get-go. That's right. So yes. do you, I mean, you, you were a pro clearly at asking these questions um, to sort of continue to, you know, help evolve people's thinking through the organization to, oh yeah, this is a content problem. Oh yeah, we can tackle this a different way. If somebody were struggling with, I keep, you know, I feel like I'm in a, I'm a pinball in a pinball machine. I just keep bopping back and forth between all these different requests and problems and I'm not really getting anywhere. Um, what kinds of questions would you suggest they start with? Uh, it really does. For me, it's always come back to asking them what are the metrics that they're getting judged on um, and trying to find a way that content can move that needle for them. Uh, because that's where the light will come on in their eyes when, when you say, you know, like, all right, so what are you getting measured on? What does your next promotion hinge on? What's the team, you know, whatever, whatever it is, right? What is the number that's hanging over your head? Um, and there is almost always a way that content can help move that needle for them. And so if you can say, all right, then let's do this. Let's, let's try this and, and usually scope it nice and tight. So that it's like a little, it's a limited time pilot thing. Let's try this and see how it goes. You establish your baseline on that number that matters to them. Um, and then you run it for the period of time, whatever it is. And then you show, and you're able to show in some sort of way how content has helped advance things for them. And then they, it just travels by word of mouth from there. That's the way I found it happens. One of the, one of the things I think, for content strategists who have come up through UX, whether or not they're now starting to embrace the title of content designer or product content strategist or whatever, one thing that I hear regularly and that is so exciting for me, you know, to be a part of that community is that people are, are sort of fiercely, radically focused on doing what's right for the end user. And a lot of times management and leadership, they don't care. They want to move those metrics. So, so, I mean, what I have seen and what I think what I'm hearing kind of from your story, too, is that if you begin with meeting those metrics, you're going to get you're, you're going to have the ear of the people who are setting the goals and who are making choices and who are funding the research and who are asking those bigger questions. That's right. And then you can kind of bring those values into play. Yeah. I mean, not that you have to sit on those values until then, but that I know no. that I know that if you are just entering workforce or you're new to a team or you're trying to bring change within an organization, simply going around and banging your fist on the table and going, that's not what's right for the user. It, 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 people aren't going to listen. No, they're not going to listen. And you, you very quickly become the sort of the party of no, you know, saying, you know, just like, and people will start to tune you out. So if you align your goals with their goals and you say, I'm just trying to help you get stuff done, uh, then they're just a lot more willing to to take you along for the ride and and see what it is that you have to offer. And, you know, and ideally, of course, you're at an organization. I've been really fortunate that like those numbers at at HubSpot tend to be numbers that are focused on user outcomes, that are focused on like audience happiness and customer joy or whatever. And so, you know, and success. So, um, so it, you don't no, you don't have to sit on those values basically. But I know that's not true in a lot of places. So, Beth, here here's my last question for you. If 
if someone is uh, writing for marketing or they are writing for a magazine or they are just coming out of school and they know that they want to write for products or the interwebs or whatever, what, what advice do you have for them? First thing that I always tell people to do is to join that terrific Slack channel that um, uh, Michael Metz started that is now kind of taken on a life of its own, the content plus UX Slack because that is now like this thriving global community of people who are established and, um, and aspiring uh, people working in this field. So it's just a terrific supportive um, community where you can find out, of, if you want to take a class, you can find out about a class. You can find out about articles and books, whatever. So it's a just great place to learn and meet people and get job postings and that sort of thing. So I always recommend people try that. And if you want to get applied experience doing this sort of work and all you're doing is sort of you know, writing magazine articles or whatever it is that you're, you're doing, um, you know, the classic um, advice is to like find a small startup or find a, find a nonprofit or something, you know, find like a, an organization where you can do some sort of a thing, do a case study. Um, but I honestly, in my experience, that's not quite as necessary. You know, what I, what I always wanted to see in the applicants, I was always happy to hire people from more traditional media fields. I, you know, the, I built out the first team with people from advertising and people from um, uh, kind of classic brand des design organizations, uh, help documentation, so all sorts of different things. I just really want to see that you're coming at this from a design process point of view, that, you're, that you recognize that it's more about meaning and semantics and systems than it is about Oxford commas and apostrophes. Sorry, listeners who love, you can still love Oxford commas and apostrophes. Oh, believe me, I love Oxford commas. And I made my name at one point in my distant past as being taking a stand against exclamation marks for crying out loud. Like I wrote this whole piece that I still get cited on. So like I'm a, you know, I've definitely spent my time on the punctuation police force. <laughs> we all have. And look where it's gotten you. Wild success. All right. Well, Beth, I could talk to you forever and, and I will continue to speak with you again. But unfortunately, our time here on the Content Strategy Podcast has come to an end. Uh, where can our fantastic listeners find you? So I'm uh, Beth Dunn on Twitter, which is probably the easiest place to find me. Um, and Good work getting that ID. Well, I was one. Of, I was definitely an early stage Twitter um, adopter. I've been less active on it of late, but yeah, I was. I was in there in like 2007 or something ridiculous like that. So that's probably the best place. Awesome. Or in the Content UX Slack community, which we will include a link to that in our show notes, as well yeah. as please send me your piece on exclamation points because we clearly yeah. need to share that with our listening audience. I would love to share that with you. It's one of my, one of my proudest moments, I have to say. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> All right, Beth, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. This podcast is produced by Brain Traffic, a content strategy consultancy and makers of fine conferences and workshops. Please visit braintraffic.com for more details and sign up for our mailing list to hear about new workshops, dates and locations, as well as content strategy insights and little personal notes from me with hilarious jokes. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or leave us a review on your favorite podcast catcher. Our podcast is produced by Podcast Press, transcription services by Rev.com and Heather Hagel, show administration by Bailey Miller and Amy Pletch, show art and music by Sean Tobriti. 
You can find even more episodes, including transcripts and links to resources mentioned in the episodes at contentstrategy.com. Thanks. We'll see you next time.